Saints love, praise him, our creatures here below. Praise him, our godly heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Please be seated. And as you're being seated, those age four through grade four are dismissed to go downstairs with Miss Michelle, my wife, um, to uh, junior church, or as we call it, Faith Kids Worship. And those that are staying, you can turn to James, the book of James, chapter uh, one, James chapter one, and that's where we will where we will be, I believe. What's that? 
What's that? Two, excuse me, James two. Yeah, right there it is in front of me. Why did I say one? James two, sorry. I was looking at my thing and it doesn't have a James two on here. So uh, I took it off of there. James two we are in. Um, I promise you, I know where we're going. <laughs> uh, it's just been a long week. Um, so we, uh, we want to uh, just uh, thank you again for the missions trip, and, and that, that, that rabbit literally did attack me. It was, it was just, uh, just a disastrous thing. I've, I've had nightmares about it since then, and uh, I hope it is long gone. Uh, I think it found our, our fellowship hall by accident. I think it thought that that thing went straight across, and it fell into the fellowship hall. And so I had Amber put some, some gloves on, and I said, now, Amber, you grab it lightly. Um, because I wasn't grabbing it. Do you think I'm going to grab it? No, that's what the youth are there for. So anyway, Amber grabs it and puts it out in the grass. Well, the thing starts running back towards the fellowship hall, and I'm standing there, literally jumps on my shirt, crawls down my shirt, down my shorts, and I'm freaking out. And Tammy's like, I've never seen Pastor run so fast. I took off across the grass. I'm like, get this thing off of me. And so then we went out the whole way out here and put it out there, and it ran under the handicap ramp, and we haven't se- I haven't seen it yet, but I've, it may come back to visit me. Um, it was looking at me awful kindly, and I, I don't know. And I think it, just, it maybe thought I was its dad or something. I don't know. But uh, anyway, so that, that was my disastrous thing of the week. Other than that, it was a good, it was a good, a good week. Um, so we want to uh, today continue our sermon series. And the sermon series that we're in is called More Than Words. And what we're doing is, is that we, we understand that in this world, in this day, truth is relative. So I may look at the Bible and say everything in it is true. The next guy at Dunkin' Donuts in line may say nothing in the Bible is true. And so we, we call it truth is relative. It's, it's relative. It's, it's to whoever, whoever, what, whoever believes the truth, is, it's the truth. But if someone else doesn't believe the truth, it's not the truth. That puts the Bible in a very damaging position. Because now we have a world that, that doesn't know, you can't just go to the Bible and say, well, in the Bible it says this, because now the world doesn't believe, some of the world doesn't believe that the Bible is true words, and so now we have a real bad problem on our hands. And so what I'm doing in this sermon series is to remind you that this is more than words. Because, like, here's why. <laughs> and And... Um, I want you to be clear on these things. Because what happens is, is that if, if those of us who believe that it is true don't start treating it like it's true, we're going to lose even more ground in the world. It's going to become an issue very quickly. And so what is dangerous about some parts of Christianity is is that there are churches out there that are beginning to question. Did God actually say that? And, 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 you know, they may not ask it that way, but that's what they're asking. Did God actually say that this person and this person should not be together? Did God actually say that it's, a, it's wrong to do this? Did God actually say that this is wrong? Or that is wrong. And you can fill in the gap, whatever it is. And there are denominations and churches that are taking their entire national conferences to debate that. 
they debate whether the Bible is true or whether the Bible is just a good tale for the days of the Bible. And that's dangerous. I'm very thankful for our EC denomination for if, if for not anything else, the fact that we don't spend useless time at national conference looking at the Bible saying, did he really mean that when he said that? I don't think we as congregation members understand how precious that is when other denominations are spending hours upon hours trying to figure this out. And so we come to this James chapter 2 this morning, and James starts talking about looking in the mirror in each day, and that's why the mirror is here. I'll refer to that in just a little while. But he starts talking about this looking in the mirror and applying the word of God, and, and he And what I did for so many years, and this is a lesson of what I'm talking about. Remember how I said last week, I believe it was, the last quote was something like, as you grow, the word becomes more and more challenging. And and as you grow, there's never a time when you know the stories and you know the Bible perfectly that you don't have to crack it open. Because this past week, I started reading the scripture passage, and I always saw what James said in the first part of chapter 2, or the, the, like the second part of where we're going to look at, starting in like verse 19. Um, we're, we're not going to go there quite yet, but, but in verse 19, I always saw that as different than what he's talking about later in verse 26. I always saw 19 and 20 as this different thing, and then 21 started this whole new, this whole new theme. But here's, here's where I'm, I'm coming to you humbly and telling you something. In 43 years of looking at this passage, I mean, every year I do a sermon series on James because I love the book. In 43 years, it hit me this week, it isn't separate. 43 years, well, 25 years of being a pastor, I always saw it as separate. But what we're going to look at today is is that why don't we apply the word? Why is it that we would rather do what the word says not to do than to actually take the word and apply it in our situation? And I think it has to do with how long you spend. Ralph built this, so I'm pretty sure it's sturdy. Looking in the mirror. Because if you look like this, you're not going to apply it. You're just not. But if you stare, oh, if you stare, you're going to apply it. How is that, Pastor Brett? Well, thank you for asking because I'm going to explain it to you in just a second. What we're looking at today is application roadblocks. That's what's up on the screen. What happens is in the scriptures is that we can believe it's all true, but if we don't apply it, it's no, (laughs) what does it matter? I mean, seriously, what does it matter? That's why, you know, when we talk about refocus, I I hear people saying, well, why do we have to refocus? Well, you know, you, you know what? If you have an issue with going back to the Bible, then you have an issue with God. Like, let me just be clear on that. Like, if you have an issue of refocusing and looking in the mirror as a church, 
That issue ain't with the ministry council or anybody else. That's with you and the Lord, man. Because that's what application is all about. Like we, we, I can't make anybody apply the word of God. Listen, if I could, I would start with two people, Freddie and Serenity. And then Michelle. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Freddie and Serenity. I would get them to get the Bible and say, listen, this is why you shouldn't mouth off to your dad. This is why you shouldn't give an attitude to your dad. I would get them to follow the word of God, but I can't do that. I can only teach them and teach them and teach them. They eventually have to kick these roadblocks down and say, I'm going to apply the word of God in my situation. No one can, you know, it's like leading a horse to water. You can't make them drink, right? You ever tried to make a horse drink water? They aren't going to listen. You ever try to make a dog, Bentley was up on the screen, drink water? Our dog is black. She sits out in the middle of the 100-degree sun, sucking air like nobody's business. We put a cup of water in front of her, not a cup, but a bowl of water in front of her, and she continues to just suck air. Drink it. She just looks at you like, thanks for bringing the water, but you know, I don't know. And I wonder sometimes, I, I just had this come to me yesterday because we were out in the pool and joining the pool as a family and the dog was sucking air again and, and I put the bowl in front of her and I was like, would you just drink the water? I wonder how the father feels. When he gives me the word and I break open the word and I and I go and do what I want to do. Would you just eat the bread? Would you just apply it? Would you just do what I said? Now, I don't believe the Father is that angry with us, but I'm doing that as a, as a, as a representation of how angry I get with my dog. Because she won't just drink the water. I wonder if the father sits up there and goes, how long? I've given you the bread of life. How long are you going to let your belly rumble and seek it with this and seek it with that and not eat the bread? So that brings us to our first point in James chapter 1, verses 19 through 21 is where we're going to focus in this first point. And here's the the point. It'll be up on the screen. When we are quick, is that right? Yeah, when we are quick to anger and slow to listen, application is hard. Now, remember what I said, this, this whole talk, I thought, you know, quick to listen, slow to listen, or quick to be angry and slow to listen, I thought that had to do with something different, but it doesn't. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, and, and, and James starts off, and he's writing to a church, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent 
and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Don't we have this back in today's culture? If I was a betting man and I would place a wager, I'm not a betting man, but if I would place a wager on the fact that you have been listening to me and all the while in the back of your head, you have been saying things like this, but what about this, but what about that? I would respond in this way if we were having a conversation right now, Pastor Brett, because that's what we're tuned to do. Instead of listening, we're tuned to think, what's going to be my response to this? And the book of James is saying, listen, this, this, this can't be your response. Read the title in your bulletin and reach, maybe you read the title in your bulletin and you reached conclusions about what I was going to say before you even heard this message. One church I served, uh, there was this Marine there and he always wanted to know, you know, it says thou shall not murder in the top 10 commandments, in the 10 commandments of the Bible. And he always wanted to know, Am I a murderer because I looked my enemy in the eye and I shot him? And so one day, actually he's not. And so one day, he calls me on the phone. He sees my sermon outline because his wife was my secretary. And he sees my sermon outline and he starts reading it and he sees, you know, is, is it murder when you're following the rules of the, of the war and, and, and all this stuff? And I, and I wrote this whole thing, and, and I'm not going to tell you the entire sermon, but he sees what I'm writing. And the first thing he says to me in the, in the, in the, in the, in the phone conversation, Pastor, I'm not coming to church on Sunday. Well, wait a second. You asked me to preach on this. You asked me to preach on this. He said, I do not appreciate being called a murderer in front of the entire church. Um, did I even preach the sermon yet? How do you know what I'm preaching? How do you know? And so, so, so when, when he called me, he's doing exactly against what James is talking about. He's not being quick to listen. No, he's already had in his mind, this is what he's going to say, and I'm going to disagree with it. And so when I finally calmed down that this guy was like jabbing me, I finally said to him, I breathed, and I said, listen, here's what I'll ask you to do. Come and listen. If you don't like what I have to say, my office is open on Monday morning. You can come and talk to me. I'll give you that. Go, we preach the sermon. He comes out of the sermon. He goes, man, am I so glad I didn't miss this one. Yeah, maybe if you would have been quick to listen and slow to become angry, things would have been a little different. That's just an illustration of how it can go sometimes. Why does our ability to, slow, to be slow to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry make application harder? Look at verse 20 with me. I want to read it again. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. You see, when you're not doing those things, when you're not quick to listen and slow to become angry and slow to speak, automatically you come to the word of God and you, you have this attitude. 
And what does verse 20 say? I, I mean, it's right there on the screen for you, but it's also in your sermon outline. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So automatically, when you don't do what James is talking about in verses 19 and 20, when you don't set yourself up to listen first and then actually breathe and be slow to speak and slow to become angry and all those things, what you do is you put a roadblock up. Flashing light. I already know what you're going to say, and I'm already angry about it. And guess what? You've thrown God's word right out the back. Because you know better. And so what James is saying to his church is, listen, guys, until you get this right in verses 19 and 20, or in verse 19, application will be a problem. Now notice I don't say it's impossible. It's always possible to apply the word of God. But you've got to climb over those roadblocks. If you're always angry about the church and about the Bible and about what God's doing in your heart and life, the chance of you applying it is slim to none. Then in verse 21, he says these words. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Who's not convicted by that? Human anger will not maybe, but will inhibit the trust of a relationship with the believer and God. Human anger will also hurt our relationship with those who do not know Christ, and it will keep them at an arm's distance. So human anger is to be removed. Then that takes work, and that's what verse 21 is speaking of. Here's what James is saying. He's clear that we must be a moral person, but that morality is not based on following a list of rules or stringent living, but is found in the freedom of the word. But aren't we new creations? Absolutely. However, that does not take us from the responsibility to putting on and taking off things throughout our lives. See, I think sometimes we hear that scripture passage in Romans that says we're a new creation when we get saved, and we somehow think that God, like, like changes us and we, we will never go back to the old. That's not true. Because when you become a new creation, you're, you're taking that old off. And sometimes it's just easier, you know, you have that, you have that, you have that t-shirt. Uh, I don't know if, I mean, women don't have this usually, but guys do. We have that t-shirt that we love. Our wife's been after us for, you know, 10 years to get rid of it because it looks ugly. But we just love to wear it because it fits right. It's got holes everywhere. She hates it when we wear it. I don't know, maybe I'm the only one in this room that does this. But I, I put it on when I go out to do whole yard work because it fits perfectly. But it's old, it's, it's grungy, it's dirty. It'll never be clean again. And sometimes in our lives, that's what we do. 
Well, you know, Pastor, in this scenario, in this place, in this, in this, this time, it's easier for me just to put my old self on, get angry, get, get upset, get fired up, get, get, get ticked off. And so I'm just going to put that, I'm going to slip that old t-shirt on. Even though God's saying, don't, don't put your old self on. Take it off. Be your new self. It's just easier to slip those old socks on because they fit just perfectly. No, take them off. We most certainly must check in with God on how we are doing, and that leads us to the second point this morning. Here's what it is. When we quickly check in, we have made application almost impossible. Almost impossible. Here's what I mean. Verse 22 through 25. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks in the mirror at his face, at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But for whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Listening is good, but you can't just listen to the word. There's an, there's an action required. The indication here in verses 22 through 23 are the first person to look in the mirror is just a quick glance. Now, here's what, here's what he's saying. He, you know, if, if I could pull this mirror back, which I might be able to try to do and not break the mirror, and I don't believe in those things, but anyway, I, don't, I really don't want to do that this morning. If you come in front of your mirror, and let's, let's, let's act like the Bible is the, is, the mirror of the, is the mirror, and that's exactly what James is using as an illustration. So your Bible is this mirror, and you come in front of that mirror, and you look at the Bible, and you just glance at it like this. Whoa, that's ugly. <laughs> anyway, um, you glance at it, and you walk away. And so what James is doing for his church is he's saying, listen, no one goes to the mirror and just quickly, like, does one of these. No, when we go in front of the mirror, I mean, I don't have much to do in the mirror. But I spend a lot of time in front of our mirror in the mornings. I'm brushing my teeth. I'm getting ready. You don't need to know all the disgusting stuff I do. But I'm, but I'm doing that. And I'm taking a lot of time. And what, what, what James is relating the mirror to is, is that he checks in. And, and the person might check into the Bible really quickly. And then they walk away from the Bible. It's like turning the Bible to John 3.16 and you read it. How many hundreds of times have we read John 3.16? And so we turn it to John 3.16, we read it quickly, we shut it, we go away. And what James is saying in verses 22 through 23 to his church is he's saying, listen, anyone who, do, who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away immediately and forgets what he looks like. I want you to notice a word, immediately. So James is saying this guy goes to the Bible and he looks at it. He goes to the mirror. He looks at it quickly and then he walks away from the mirror and he forgets everything about himself. 
And what James is saying to his church is, is that if you, if you do that, if that's the way you check into the word of God, the thing that's more than words to you, if that's the way you deal with it, guess what happens? You never are almost impossible to apply the word because you don't look at it long enough to realize that you need it. Do you understand? James is saying that there are a lot of people who just check in with God. Yep, I'm still alive. And what God is saying through his word, through James being inspired word of God, what James is saying is, listen, when you do this, yep, I'm still alive. continues it continues in verse 24 and after looking at himself he goes away immediately forgets what he looks like excuse me verse 25 but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it not forgetting what they have heard but doing it they will be blessed in what they do and so James compares it to the person who who takes the mirror I gotta go the whole way over there to see myself in this thing but anyway and looks at himself and continues to look at himself notice what James says in verse 25 it's, 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 it's earth shattering well, at least it should be. He looks into the perfect law that gives freedom. He looks intently. He breaks open the word, and I know this is a hymnal, but play with me for a while. He breaks open the word, and he looks at it intently. And he says, wow. I am the Samaritan woman. Wow, I'm the woman that was caught in adultery and God threw in front of the people and said, stoner. The people said, stoner, and I... And Jesus got down lower than the woman and showed her grace. I am that person. While I am David, because I have an eye that wanders. Wow. I'm Moses. Wow, I'm the guy that has very little faith. Because you see, as I look intently into the law and I look at the, the words of God and I see what the Bible says, I start to realize this is me. I don't do what's right all the time. So like the Apostle Paul, I say, why is it that I do what's wrong all the time and what's right I don't do hardly at all?
See, this is what James is saying, and he's getting down to his congregation, and he's saying, look, this is the way people treat it sometimes. They look at it, and they say, that's great and wonderful for that Samaritan woman, but doesn't mean anything to me. But it is you. You are nothing without him. And so the person who looks intently at the wall and looks into the Bible and actually reads it for what it is and says, wow, that is me. You know what I, what I came up with this past week? I, for a long time, and, and, and this is a shame because as a pastor, this shouldn't be a problem, but it is. For a long time, I was the guy that liked to look at myself in the mirror real quickly and just, okay, this week's sermon is prepared. Let's go on with life. I said to Andy when he was preparing his sermon that my hardest struggle is is that my devotions don't become sermon application time. It's not fair to God. Sermon application is sermon application. Time with God is time with God. Sunday school teachers, do not allow your lessons to become your devotions. You're ripping God off. People who break open the word, do not allow that to become your devotions. You're not looking intently at the word. You're looking at it for quick answers so you can put that lesson together. And so James is very stand, very thorough here. I like one way the commentary puts it that I was using. Disciples of Christ receive the word by being believers who do what the word requires. So when James talks about a moral filth, getting rid of it, he's not talking about being a moral person just to be a moral person. It's great that you're a moral person. But why are you a moral person? See, when I was a teenager, I was somewhat moral. You know why I was somewhat moral? Because Craig Kindig told me, you better not do this, this, and this, and this. Had nothing to do with God. So one of the things that I've been really, really passionate about in my fathering is that when I sit down with Freddie after he does something morally wrong, lying or whatever I always say to him Freddie it's not about hurting my feelings think about how the God who created you feels right now because at the end of the day I don't want a moral son that follows a father I want a moral son that follows a heavenly father my rules will go and pass his rules, they're here all the time. This doing isn't about whether we do it quickly or slowly. It's about whether we do it at all. 
See, faith must be demonstrated, and to miss that is fundamental flaw in understanding. That may require us to stand in front of the mirror for a little longer, but that's the price we must pay. Then James, like a bull in a china shop, goes right after his readers. Right after his readers. And here's what he says in verse 26. Well, number three point is this. Religion is the outside observance of an inward belief system, worldview. If the two don't match, it's worthless, and a personal application will not happen. Now, James has never been one to be told that he was light on his writing. If you think some of my sermons are tough, you would not have liked James as your pastor. You would have thrown him out of town a long time ago. He put it to you straight, and he told you this is the way it is. And here's verse 26. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves. And their religion is worthless. The danger in the church is doing a show. That's the danger. And what he says in verse 26 just kind of blows up everything they said beforehand. And here's what he says. Listen again. Consider themselves religious. So he's looking out at his congregation. He's writing this letter and he's saying to his congregation, listen, there are those of you that sit that consider yourself very religious. But here's the problem. Your religion doesn't match what you see when you look in the mirror. So what's the test of whether we have a religion in word or word in deed? How do we know? So Pastor Brett, you're, you're, you're calling us to this and you're saying, listen, it's dangerous to play games with God. It's dangerous to say you're religious when you're not really matching up with, with the moral standards of religion and you're not applying the word of God. So how do we know? James answers that for you. It's on the screen. You want to know whether you're doing it right? You want to know whether you're doing it uh, correctly? Well, you're not going to like the answer because he pretty much puts it to you straight. And here's what he says. Do you have a rain on your tongue? Do you slander leaders in your church? Do you talk behind backs? Do you put people down instead of looking how you can lift them up? You want to know whether your religion is worthless? James says, look at your tongue. And that doesn't mean you go to your, your thing, ah, that's not what he's talking about. How's your tongue doing? Listen to him. Well, listen to what he says. I, I want to read it from him. This is the word of God. This is not Pastor Brett making something up. Keep a tight rein on their tongues. Deceive themselves. Do not keep a tight rein on their tongues. Deceive themselves. So what, what he's saying here is he's saying, listen, there are those who sit amongst us, not, not here, they're in his church. There, there are those who sit amongst us that think they're religious, yet their tongues tell a different story. How they talk 
about the church tells a different story. I'll never forget, we went to lunch after church one day, and we were in Crossroads, my favorite place. It's like the, the pastors in this district joke that I have stock in Crossroads Restaurant because I'm always there. You want to find me, well, in the mornings or in the evenings, go to Crossroads Restaurant. And Shell and I sat down next to this beautiful couple sitting next to us, and I, I don't know them from Adam. And I hope they're not here this morning because <laughs> I'm going to tell the story. I heard how boring and dry their pastor was that morning. I heard how their church isn't making this and that and how they can't believe their pastor is asking them to do this and that. I heard everything negative about the church. At one point, this was before Freddie and Serenity came into our lives. At one point, I turned to Michelle and I said, man, if I was an unbeliever, I wouldn't even want to step foot into that church. And I guarantee you the other six tables around us heard it too. There was no hiding it. My heart broke. It's not about the disagreement. That's, that's okay. You can disagree all you want. It's about reining in your tongue. It's about talking to the right people. What I wanted to do, but my wife put her fingernails into my arms, that's why I have scabs, was I wanted to go over and say, hey, have you talked to your pastor about that yet? Did you go to your leadership council and talk to them about that? Because, like, I'm not your pastor, and I don't really want to hear about it. Because, you see, if this is more than words, in Matthew 25, it's pretty clear. You go and talk to the person. If you don't get an answer from the person, you go above the person, you get another person, and you go and talk to that person. If this is more in words and we're going to apply it, then that's what we got to do. We don't like to. It's just easier to do it over here. But go and talk. But he, 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 you know, I know what response I would have gotten already. I know it already because I've been in the ministry for as long as I have been in. He won't listen to me. Then go talk to the ministry council. They won't listen to me. How do you know? I'll give you a perfect example of what this looks like. It's, so this morning, Freddie and I are sitting in the, this just happened. This is a fresh example. It's not even in my notes. You're getting a free illustration from this morning. Freddie and I are sitting in the sound booth. I said to Freddie, Freddie, listen, you know, I told him that there was, there was this one thing that might happen today if he's good. We have to do that every once in a while. Be good today in junior church, and you might get to do this after church. And he looks at me, and he goes, Mom won't let me. Did you ask, Mom? Nope. 
Can you read minds? Nope. So how do you know what mom's going to say? I just know. Okay. So Michelle comes walking in. And I say to Michelle, Michelle, I just presented this idea to Freddie. And I thought this would be a really cool idea if he could do this after church today. You know what? I was just thinking that same thing, she says to Freddie. Without even knowing anything. And I looked at him and I said, you see, son, don't tell me what I'm thinking. And don't tell your mother that she's going to say no before she says no. Because unless God has gifted you with some kind of read their mind stuff, you don't know what we're going to say. One day, traveling home from school, he said to me, I know it, I'm going to lose my Woody doll because I was bad at school today. I know it, I know it, I know it. I said, funny thing is, Freddie, I've just been thinking about what you're going to lose, and your Woody doll never came to my mind. But now it has. Thanks for the warning. <laughs> really? Yeah, because you can't read my mind. That's so what James is talking about. Well, they won't listen. Well, they won't, oh, hey, you think you know how they read? Then you must have some kind of power that God gave you that did not give to me. And so it continues. If our head knowledge doesn't meet our heart knowledge, that's exactly where we are heading. To a tongue that's out of control. That's where we're heading. If you study the word so you can get Alex Trebek's questions about the Bible right and not apply it, your tongue will never get reined in. But if you look at the mirror and you study it intently and you start to see, wait a second. The Apostle Paul was just like me. Wait a second. David was just like me. Wait a second. Moses and I don't have that much of a thing together. We, I mean, we, we have a lot to, in common. Moses gets ticked off at God, so angry at God. How dare you lead me to this place? He starts to smack things, and he starts to get so upset with God. How dare you do this to me? So you think your anger that's out of control isn't like Moses? Maybe you ought to look in the mirror. Maybe you ought to study yourself. And so I ask in this closing way is this. This is the question I ask. How long will you study the mirror this week? And I'm not talking about the bathroom mirror in your house. Trust me, I just spent time with the teenage girls. They spend enough time in front of those bathroom, window, those bathroom mirrors. I'm talking about how much time will you read the Word this week? How much time will you give to the Word? How much time will you give to applying the Word? Like, you know, that situation at work where he clearly tells you not to do this, and, and yet your boss is asking you to do this. Will you just give in, or will you actually apply the Scriptures? 
I've been there, done that. I worked at U-Haul. It was my uncle that asked me to lie. Bible college student, studying the scriptures. I come home for a summer break. I get a job at U-Haul, and my uncle asks me, tells me to lie to his different customers about different things. And I'm struggling with it. Am I going to apply the word that says thou shalt not lie? Or am I going to just lie? Because you know what? Hey, it's my uncle, man. God will forgive me. I'm not going to tell you the answers. I'm just going to tell you I know where you're at sometimes. What will we do? Will we apply the word or will we leave it sit? In the back of that yellow paper in your sermon, in your bulletin, there is a, a way of applying the word of God to your life. It's by the navigators. Navigators are committed to making disciples of Jesus Christ. They are committed that people will, will actually take the word and apply it to their hearts. And so there's a step-by-step -step way of doing that. So you open the Bible, you read a scripture passage, and it tells you how to work through it, that you will apply that scripture passage to your life. Now, I would highly recommend you don't start in Leviticus, all right? I would highly recommend you don't start in, like, Judges. Start in the New Testament. Maybe start in 1 John. You know why I say that? Because 1 John, the whole reason 1 John was written was because people doubted whether they were saved or not. And so John wrote the book of 1 John because he wanted to share with people how you know that you, without a shadow of a doubt, know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You struggle with that, you need to read the book of 1 John. And you need to open your eyes to it. And you need to study it like this mirror. You need to keep in it. Don't give up after the first day. Don't give up after two minutes. Keep going and read. Because the Lord will bless you. That's what he says in that last half. I'm going back, but I want you to hear the last half of verse 25 because it's important. Those that study the word and look into the perfect law, that's the Bible that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but actually doing it. Listen to what, what will happen. They will be blessed in what they do. They will be blessed in what they do. Not the person who just studies it quickly and walks away. James is very clear here. It's the person who studies themselves in Scripture looks in the mirror and understands who they are and that the fact is, is that they are a sinner, but they're a sinner in Christ. They will be blessed in what they do. Are you they? Don't, don't answer that. Think about it this week. Are you they? Or are you the other they? Let's close in a word of prayer today. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we need to look in the mirror. As a church, we need to look in the mirror, and as an individual, we need to look in the mirror. We need to study ourselves. 
We need to know our gifts. We need to know our talents. We need to know who we are in you. And we need to know who our old selves are. So that we cannot revert back to those. Help us, Lord, as we seek your face. Because there's always something else to be done. Sometimes in my life, Lord, I know Bible study takes a second seat because there's always someone to see, there's always someone to talk with, there's always something else to do. Help us to see this as more than words. This is life-giving. Help us to be a part of that they in the second half of verse 25. Those that actually stare at the perfect law find freedom from the word of God, they will be blessed when they do it. For Lord, it's in your name we pray this all. Amen. Let's, let's uh, close this morning's uh, service with the singing of Solid Rock, our closing hymn, Solid Rock. When all around 